0: Welcome to episode 28, everyone. This was another one of our series of simple questions smart people ask with a dear friend of ours, Emily. And it was such a fascinating set of questions asked and conversations had because we started with the transparency of blockchain asking and whether or not that translates into all of the cryptocurrencies. And from that, we went into the topic of privacy coins. Um, and from that, we actually jumped into regulations and the ethics and morals that will be used, uh, will be used to uh, discern the the laws that are around people's privacy and how they relate to crypto. And then finally, we ended up talking about what triggers people to actually pull, pull the trigger and make cryptocurrency investments from the time that they first hear about it until the time they actually go and buy something. And it was really fascinating to hear Emily's point of view on that. So it was a great episode to record and I'm sure you will take away a lot of value from listening to Emily's opinion and the conversation in general. You're listening to Go Full Crypto, and I'm your host, Murgakshi Palway.
1: The thoughts and opinions expressed by Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and the guests interviewed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are solely their own. The content discussed are intended to be for informational purposes
0: only. Welcome to episode 28, everyone. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Keith. Got you covered. I usually mess up those numbers. Um, Today, we are interviewing our other very dear friend. Her name is Emily Benigno. She is an expert violin teacher and my colleague from when I used to teach violin. Fantastic human being, a super inquisitive soul, and so, so excited to have her on this particular episode of Simple Questions Smart People Ask. So without further ado, Emily, why don't you give us an introduction to yourself? So, hi everybody, my name is Emily and I moved to
1: Halifax uh, about a year ago and I had no idea what cryptocurrency was until I met Keegan Emmergakshi. And I remember asking them about what it was and I was really lost the first, <laughs> I think three times we we hung out together. I felt like I was asking the same questions sort of like over and over again. Uh, Because it just didn't click for a little while. So I teach uh, violin and I have almost no experience in the cryptocurrency department. Um, I do all of my banking traditionally, but it's a pretty interesting topic and I'd love to learn more. So I'm really excited to talk with you guys.
0: Yeah. And we're very excited to have you on too. For all of the listeners and um, viewers on YouTube that are wondering if you, where where you've heard Emily's voice before, (laughs) she does read out our disclaimer. So rest easy if you've been trying to figure out where you've heard her before. All right. So let's begin, Emily. From what I remember about the first three times that we hung out and you asked us questions on crypto, they were all different angles. Even if they were trying to um, extract the same answer, they were all very different angles of um, trying to get to the same conclusion. And that was what I thought was so fantastic about the way that you ask questions because you're like... Uh, multi-dimension curiosity um, makes you want to understand something from all perspectives and all angles. So with that in mind, what's some of the questions that you've thought about? Let's begin. I, I definitely remember the question that
1: that still stays with me, where I feel like I haven't quite figured it out yet. It's a, it's a big one, but how cryptocurrency works with, and especially Bitcoin with like blockchain and the accountability, that's a very attractive aspect. To cryptocurrency to me and how transparent it is and I just am wondering like I'm still sort of wondering like is Bitcoin one of the few companies that that does that uses blockchain or are there other cryptocurrencies that also use it and is that blockchain and that transparency inherent to all cryptocurrency or is it just for like a select few and then what enables those few, if it is just a few, you know, cryptocurrencies that use blockchain and have like easily trackable, you know, transfers and things like that, you know, why, why them?
0: So one thing, just to clarify on something that I heard you say, did you um, mean to say that Bitcoin as a cryptocurrency? Because I think I heard you say Bitcoin as a company is Oh, sorry. I meant cryptocurrency. Oh, okay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because there is no Bitcoin company.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right.
2: (laughs) I actually want to like pose a question back to you. You mentioned that accountability and transparency are appealing. You said that, that, that those are things that are nice about it, or at least on the surface, you think that they're nice. Oh yeah.
1: They're great. Why? Because I, I am the older I get and the more, um, opportunities that I have to invest my money in places, you know, as a working professional and, you know, I'm not just making ends meet anymore. I have like just, like a little bit of extra room and sort of what, where do I put that money and how can I, how can I invest that smartly? Um, I put my little tinfoil hat on at times (laughs) because I'm not so trustful of banks and I don't like that. I just put my money into a savings account and I have to just trust that it's going to be there in five years or in 10 years or, you know, in a couple of months or whatever. So I like that there's a little bit more accountability of where things are, are moving um, because it is, it is my money. It is my investment. It's not a loan to a bank, and that's how our current system is operating.
2: So that's amazing. You have a, a very good understanding of uh, how things are <laughs> currently yeah.
0: happening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So coming back to your question, if I was to summarize it in one sentence, would it be: Is Bitcoin the only completely transparent blockchain? Uh, sorry, cryptocurrency that uses blockchain, or do other cryptocurrencies that exist also uh, inherit the same properties of transparency? Exactly. It's a
1: great way. Summarizing
0: it. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. So um, to begin, one thing that Bitcoin has that no other cryptocurrency has to date that I know of is um, an anonymity with the person that or the group of people that have invented it, that have started it. And if there is one thing that Bitcoin is unique with respect to its founders, it's it's that in particular, that we don't know who Satoshi Nakamoto is Where they are, who they are, what they're doing right now, whether or not they're even on this planet Um, anymore—meaning
2: if they're alive or (laughs) (laughs)
1: not—not
2: meaning like, hey, they they could be an alien.
1: (laughs) No, no, they like called Elon Musk, and they're already on the Mars colony. They've been there there for a while.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I guess I didn't want to say they were dead yet, but you know, thank you. you Yes. (laughs) So that's one distinction, and then the other one about transparency and um, auditability. Yes and no. It depends on what cryptocurrency we're talking about. Um, blockchain technology, out of the box, enables the the possibility of um, transparency and auditability and traceability and immutability. But just because it enables all of this doesn't mean that anyone who uses a blockchain to do this will um, have that be implemented on their particular cryptocurrency. Okay. It's very important to, to know how a particular blockchain has been implemented in order to determine whether or not you can trust the transparency, whether you can trust that um, the immu- immutability of anything that's on this blockchain can be trusted. Okay, so then,
1: if it's a, it's a, if it's an opt out for like that blockchain out of the box technology, do you have like particular cryptocurrencies that you're following that you really like because they do or they because they do use that transparency, like Keegan, you mentioned that that's like an attractive um, part of cryptocurrency. Transparency
2: and auditability in general.
1: Yeah, exactly. So like, how are you how are you finding and like researching those um, those currencies that are that are using blockchain in that way?
2: Yeah. So in terms of what the, I would say, like the best bet is uh, like for as an investment, mm-hmm. uh, I'm looking for actually what does have the best chance of being widely accepted by the world. And I think that's Bitcoin because it's only pseudo-anonymous. I don't think that there's any government or uh, law enforcement agency in the world that would want to use a completely anonymous cryptocurrency or would want to base the country's banking system on a completely anonymous cryptocurrency. Whereas Bitcoin, because everything is open and transparent, they can use tools to to continue doing what they do best, which is uh, finding... Uh, counterfeiters or finding uh, money launderers and people who are using money for crime and you can't do that with these completely anonymous cryptocurrencies and you can do that with bitcoin which is one of the reasons why i think bitcoin will succeed as a uh, a world currency someday is because they can actually trace it and hold people accountable for for conducting crime with with bitcoin Hmm. uh now on the other side of things like so yeah we watch things that actually do have the, the chance to like uh, things. We, we watch cryptocurrencies, cryptocurrencies that have the chance to uh, be a world currency, but we also watch the ones that uh, that are completely anonymous. And uh, mm-hmm. the one that I'm thinking of in particular is called Monero and it's completely anonymous. And there's a, there's an agency in the United States, I'm pretty sure it's the NSA or maybe it's the FBI, but they currently have like a grant owed to anyone that can break the encryption or break the cryptography for this thing, because it is a big problem. They can't figure out where, where the money's moving in that network. And that's a, a really great network for, for criminals for, for that reason. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Do you find that um, Monero is just as accessible as Bitcoin? or is it a little bit harder to get into?
2: It's a little bit harder to get into, mainly because the exchanges themselves, uh, that's how you would get a hold of them, so.
0: Yes and no, I would say though, because people who want to get a hold of Monero will be able to get a hold of Monero. It's just a cryptocurrency like anything else. You just
2: have to know how to do it.
0: Yeah, and then the other thing is also um, liquidity is, uh, just to expand further on liquidity, means how many people are willing to trade you another currency to give you Monero. Uh, in yeah. order for you to first get a hold of it. So um, depends on where you are in the world, what you want to exchange your original currency for in order to get your hands on Monero. And then whether you want to keep it in Monero or exchange it back into something else.
2: So, yeah, you need to find an exchange that essentially a, a crypto bank that will allow you to trade Bitcoin or th- or Ethereum for Monero. You, like they yeah. need to support it. And uh, there's less and less exchanges supporting it over time because if the government were to try to crack down on a cryptocurrency like this, this is the way that like, this is the most effective way to do it. Hmm. Stop the organizations that allow crypto trading from supporting Monero. And so that's the kind of the way that they've gone about thwarting or uh, dismantling. Yeah. Dismantling that that network of sorts. Yeah.
1: Then how do you grapple with governments that are trying to control something like Monero, which is like a cryptocurrency. It's its own, you know, it's like, it's, What's the word that I'm searching for? Like Monero exists without the government. So how do you grapple with government control over something that isn't there?
2: Right, so yeah, obtaining Monero, like if you wanted to go and trade your Bitcoin from the Monero, you'd need an exchange to do that. Mm-hmm. But let's just say that you and I are engaging in a, in a transaction, like I have Monero, I could send it to you. Yeah. There's nothing anyone can do to stop that. Yeah. And that's completely fine, right? That's not something that the government could stop or shut down. Mm-hmm. whereas they can do something about exchanges that support it.
0: Hmm. Okay.
2: Right. Did you have something to add there, Morgan?
0: Oh, no. I was just thinking that uh, the only reason why you would exchange something like Monero between two people is if you believe it to be money or if you believe yeah. it to have a um, holder's value in some way so you can exchange it for something else that you also believe to be money. So that right. also needs to be kept in mind because if you find Monero valuable... Then having that peer-to-peer direct exchange without going through a wallet mm-hmm. is fine to begin with. But what one way that Monero could lose its value is if no exchange carries um, a, a trading pair for it, because then you're just stuck with Monero. And then if uh, you know, like, then you have <laughs> then you have a circ, a really close circle or, or group of people that just um, have Monero, and how, what determines its value when that happens? Yeah, right. it's like having a currency in a
1: vacuum. And I guess that's why. Bitcoin to me makes a little bit more sense because like the the way that you obtain Bitcoin with like the whole mining process and it's an algorithm that makes a little bit more sense to me. And the other cryptocurrencies, um, like I need to delve a little bit more into them, but from my very like cursory knowledge of it, um, it seems like I haven't gotten a grapple on like how how does anybody assign these cryptocurrencies value? Like who who gets to decide how much like
2: that's actually a really fascinating question, and, and I'll, yeah. I'll tell you why. It's because the free market decides the value of these mm-hmm. cryptocurrencies, whereas you're used to the government telling you what the value of your money is worth. Uh, so the free market decides, like all the people coming together. Uh, what, what, I would
0: just I just wanted to say, like, t- to a free market, we're mm-hmm. talking about it, like it's a term that's used.
2: Sure. Yeah. I might uh, be losing some people with with just the free market term. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but like when you look at a stock market and the price of a stock, that's determined by the free market. It's determined by all the people in buying and selling to arrive on a single number, like a single price. Yeah. Uh, and that is the, the price of any particular stock at any particular time, that, whether that be gold, silver, Apple stock or Tesla stock, right? Whereas, okay, just
0: I just want to yeah, make sure. a distinction here. I thought you were <laughs> going to define free market. So a free market is where the people decide what the price or the cost of something should be. Yeah. And that's where Bitcoin gets its value. The free market. The stock market is where the stock decides its price or value. So when you... Well, the
2: stock market is a free market.
0: Uh, sure, it is. But it like... uh, I'm trying to... Okay. Never mind. I probably shouldn't talk about the stock market because <laughs> I'm not very the worse than it. But I just wanted to put the definition of the free market. Well, with
2: respect to the here. US dollar, that's sort of locked in at one US dollar. Right. And it's the world reserve yeah. currency. And it's kind of the only thing in the world that is static in price. But that's unnatural as for, like in terms of where we came from in human history, as far as like how we decide uh, the value of things. It's unnatural mm-hmm. to have something that that is fixed. It, well, isn't sort- a
1: Bitcoin fixed? You know, like if I have 0.0075 of, of like a Bitcoin, yep. even let's say that Bitcoin's around for 100 years, like in 100 years, my, like, my 0.0075 of a Bitcoin is still going to be the same. It's, going yeah, to be, it's not going to be infe- uh, affected by inflation or sort of like these outside forces.
2: The supply itself of Bitcoin is not going to be affected. So you're going to still have 0.0075. Mm-hmm. Just the worth of that, the buying power, like mm-hmm. how much that Bitcoin will actually buy you in goods or capital goods at the end of the day, that's going to be different.
0: So it will be impacted by deflation, which is the number of... Um, Oh gosh, I've really lost my <laughs> chain of thought here. Oh my gosh.
2: Right, like the Bitcoin network's not going to devalue the uh, like the buying power of your Bitcoin over time. But the value of Bitcoin is going to be infected, uh, affected by the inflation of other assets. So like mm. as the US government or other world governments inflate their own currency supplies, the value of Bitcoin will go up with respect to that. Okay. Yeah.
1: What are some things that could make the value of cryptocurrency go down or especially something as well-established well i mean like it's still new as far as currencies go but like something like bitcoin which has been around for a while people sort of know how it works and and are a little bit more involved
0: one thing that would make the value of a- any particular cryptocurrency go down is if it had um, a capped, capped circulatory supply At some point and then that was changed to be um, something else at another point so if that was increased then it would be no different than what our government government money is doing right now is being able to produce more money when there there is need for it and a hard cap determines whether or not the value of a particular currency is going to sustain itself or really grow in purchasing power over time
2: yeah, and and I would I would say that also chalks up to the speculation. Uh, so like people thinking that it's worth more than it is uh, mm-hmm. will cause the price to go up, right? But then on the other side, once the price goes up uh, to a particular amount, uh, the people are also free to sell, and yeah. they're also free to value it lower. And and in a nutshell, that like what we just described was the speculation of of its value. And so yes, people can speculate on it, speculated on it going up, but when enough people say, "Hmm, that's too high, that's too high of a value for that thing," then they're free to to sell their Bitcoin or whatever other cryptocurrency at whatever price they want. And that includes a lower price than uh, than what it is now. So but What
1: would be the incentive to do that? I mean, like if you have if you're trying to sell Bitcoin mm-hmm. and you're trying to get rid of it or like you're loaning money to somebody what would be the value in offloading your bitcoin at a lower at, lo, at less than market value
2: uh well you're always selling at or less than market value it's really hard to sell above market value uh, if you manage to do that that's great uh mm-hmm. but if i bought a bitcoin at a thousand dollars and now bitcoin's sitting at twenty thousand dollars then my incentive to sell bitcoin at twenty thousand dollars is, is a nineteen thousand dollar gain Yeah. Right. I'm I have an incentive to do that because maybe I need to buy a host or put a down payment on a host and the bank doesn't accept Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Right. So like Bitcoin itself is not inherently valuable whatsoever. Right. It doesn't. I, I get nothing. I can't eat it. I can't really do anything with it other than have it carry my value into the future and sustain my value into the future. So I'm incentivized to sell my Bitcoin later at whatever price I can get it at. As long as it's a gain for me, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm happy because I can then take the dollars that I get uh, and exchange the dollars for a jet ski or a car or something like that. So that's kind of yeah. why I'd be incentivized to sell at market price or lower. As long as it's a gain for me, as long as that price is higher than what I bought it at, then I should be happy. Cool. should. Theoretically. quotation Air quotes around yeah, shit. Sure, sure. <laughs> <Right>. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Buy low, sell high. <laughs> That's cool. kind of the idea. Uh, I, I wanted, like, we, we missed a, one particular point about Monero that I wanted to go back to. And, and that was, like, why would I be incentivized to use Monero when there's all these other great uh, cryptocurrencies out there? Like, I, if I can use Bitcoin for 99% of my purchases, or if I can use, use the U.S. dollar, the Canadian dollar for 99% of my, my purchases... Why would I ever consider using Monero or anything? Yeah. And it's because Monero does something that everything else doesn't. And that is it perfectly perver- uh, preserves my privacy and my anonymity. And that's relevant in a couple of situations. A, if you're a criminal, that's extremely relevant. But the the one that I want to bring attention to is uh, is an instance that we might often be familiar with. It's Edward Snowden. And yeah. uh, the individual that disclosed all sorts of NSA dealings and cybersecurity uh, phenomenon that are going on behind the backs of many American citizens. Uh, so Edward Snowden at one point had to take this uh, data and remove it from the NSA and put it somewhere else. And he bought server space and... That is one instance where a cryptocurrency would be really useful that preserves your identity or preserves your anonymity,
0: mm-hmm.
2: because he could purchase that server space and not be worried about uh, that server space being tied back to Edward Snowden. Yeah, he could get some Monero and then he could uh, purchase that server space, and that would be a perfectly uh, justified reason to use a an anonymous cryptocurrency.
1: And and criminals, and the, missile uh,
2: criminals and whistleblowers. Criminals and That's Right.
1: But like, what's the what's the the moral ramifications of that. I mean, yes, you have your anonymity and that's and that's really fantastic. But, you know, like where where is a line drawn between like, OK, we just like we need to figure out how this money is moving and and where it's coming from.
2: Yeah, this one, this is puzzling. It's puzzling all sorts of people for exactly the reason that you just suggested. The, the, what are the more ramifications of having something that is completely anonymous, anonymous available to us? And I don't think that there's a really good answer for this yet.
0: I think yeah.
2: as, as our privacy is eroded further into the future, because that's kind of where we're trending towards, uh, I think that it will be a little bit more obvious where the, the moral standpoint on this is. I think that privacy yeah. is going to be a lot more relevant for people as we move into the future where less privacy is had or less privacy is preserved. Like one thing that really scares me is the, uh, the, the COVID tracking apps. And in some places, in some countries, like Australia and New Zealand, they're currently making this mandatory for people, where you must have this app, and you must have your location tracked, and you must know this and that about you. And it's like, mm, okay, well, when now you're legislating that I must have this app, and you must know where I am. It's like yeah. now we're embarking into territory that we've never embarked into before, simply because the technology exists.
0: Yeah, I I see what you mean. I see what you mean. There still are aspects of. There not being a, a privacy towards people who want to purchase cryptocurrency if it is mandatory for um, exchanges to conduct a know-your-client process. And that's essentially where you have to submit your driver's license or your passport or some form of government identification in order to get an account on an exchange. And if so, you, you don't know someone who can just give you some cryptocurrency, whichever one you want for whatever transaction... Um, And if you cannot get paid in cryptocurrency, you cannot get donated cryptocurrency, then the exchange is the only place where you have the ability to um, or the access to tons of cryptocurrencies. So it is being made mandatory for a lot of exchanges to have know your client policies in place, just like at a bank. When you go to a bank, you can't really open an account unless you give them your Um, social insurance number or some sort of identification yeah so talking about privacy going forward even if um, there are privacy coins that help you maintain um, anonymity with the transactions that you conduct if you're still using an exchange and if it is mandatory for every exchange to have a know your client policy in place then the exchange still knows who you are you are Mm. and if the exchange if i mean if they've implemented it in the first place it it means that they're under a jurisdiction of a government and then the government can go in or you know someone from a government the government can go in and say hey we actually want to know about this particular user and you have to tell it to us because you're under our jurisdiction have
2: they bought monero yeah that
0: can essentially be a scenario that does play out because i'm thinking of of you know if cryptocurrency
1: really Picks up momentum and becomes a global currency, like you've um, like you've mentioned a couple of times. I am really curious about, you know, who do you think is going to start to like set regulations for cryptocurrency, or like, do you think that it's going to be, in do you think that these regulations and privacy policies are going to be like widespread, and you know, who's who's gonna who's gonna decide that? Essentially, that's like it's a big it's a big ethical puzzle for me like
2: you know, a, who do you decide there's a couple of things to unpack there like for on the one hand uh, it doesn't matter what what these people decide the like regulations and privacy policies they want in place because due to the nature of the technology there's not a whole lot they can do about people using them hmm. right so that's that's the ability for bitcoin or any of the any of these other cryptocurrencies to be censorship resistant Mm-hmm. Meaning, uh, I can just use it and no one can stop it. It's, yeah, it's the network. It's like it, there's a reason why BitTorrent is still operational today, even though it's been completely destructive to the music and movie industry. It's still around, and it's because it's yeah. a censorship-resistant technology. You can you can get a letter in the mail, like in Canada, when you when you torrent something, you get a letter in the mail that says, "Hey, we've caught you torrenting. You're going to face a two hundred fifty thousand dollar fine if you don't stop," and. Yeah. You know, I'm sure that millions of Canadians have received this exact letter, but it's not like they're coming down and uh, knocking on every single person's door and going to arrest them and hand them a $250,000 fine. That's just not realistic. Yeah. And so they can craft all the policy that they, that they want. But at the end of the day, if the people decide to use cryptocurrencies, there's not a whole lot that can be done. And then on the other side, yes, governments can build these policies or uh, legislations, regulations, whatever. Uh, I think the most sensible thing for them to do is figure out a reasonable thing, uh, a a reasonable policy. So, like, how do we tax this reasonably? Mm -hmm. How do we allow our citizens to use this, but still, um, like, essentially collect taxes on it so that we can um, still be a country? Um, Because that's... I think that's kind of what countries care about at the end of the day, is, like, how do we tax this? How do we keep money coming into our pockets so that we can remain alive? And that's going to be a weird question to see unfold before our eyes in the next 20 or 30 years i think did you do you want to add anything to that
0: Uh, no i don't think i have anything to say to that particular question okay yeah (laughs) you summed it up pretty well
1: there thanks yeah because it's that's yeah that's the part of it that um that makes me wonder as like a decentralized somewhat autonomous currency system how are we how are we going to come together as a global community and figure out, like, how are are we dealing with this? Because this is uncharted territory. And is it the responsibility of the governments to have their own regulations for cryptocurrency? Or is it, you know, is it more of a broader spectrum of?
0: It's such a funny thing that you mentioned there that how are we going to come together as a global community to determine what to do with this? Because uh, the answer to that is we've already come together as a yeah. global community and decided what to do with it, which is to use it. Um, the only reason why Bitcoin has survived or one of them a lot one of the many reasons that Bitcoin has survived for the past eleven years now is because people are using it. And it's not like the numbers have declined. The numbers are growing, and, and they're always growing, and yeah, and they're always growing. And of like what the governments decide to do with it, they've we've actually seen them make decisions first they. Make it illegal. The um, Keegan, What's that thing you say a lot? Of I know. Times?
2: I love it. So first they ignore it, then they laugh at it, then they fight it, then we win. So we're we're currently in between the laughing and fighting stage, where like mm-hmm. we still see a lot of uh, governments and banks in particular. Um, uh, there might be one after fight it. So first they first they ignore it, then they laugh at it, then they fight it, then they join us, then we win. Right. And we're currently in the laughing and fighting stage, as far as I see it, because governments and banks are like
0: we, though, you have to be very specific about the government, the
2: cryptocurrency community.
0: No, but there are governments or I should not say governments, but countries out there that are accepting Bitcoin. Yeah, you can pay
2: your taxes in Bitcoin and Ethereum.
0: Yeah, exactly. Which
2: I I believe it's Switzerland.
1: Amazing.
2: Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So they're actually like, hey, yeah, Yeah. we'll accept this. We think it's money enough to like receive it from you. Yeah. And that seems like the right approach. That seems like those countries that do that sooner will benefit massively in the future because like, like Ruger pointed out, the global community did make a decision on this. They're like, <laughs> the more people that pile into this is the decision, is the, commun- the global community coming together and deciding that it's a useful thing to, to be doing. And uh, countries kind of need to realize that they don't have the power to uh, sway the opinion of the entire globe they might have some power to sway the opinion of the people inside their country but when this mm-hmm. is a global phenomenon and it is what what power does switzerland have to affect the growth of bitcoin in canada yeah right and uh, that's that's kind of a weird a weird phenomenon like aspect of this whole situation is that it, i think
1: precedence is is powerful though yeah like seeing you know like you mentioned um that there are some c- countries that are already accepting it as, you know, like viable currency to like pay your taxes and things like that. So, you know, like there are some of the first countries that have done that. So, you know, is, is that going to snowball? Is that going to mean that like one by one more countries are going to start adopting that? How far away is the U S from accepting Bitcoin as, you know, like
2: far, <laughs> but <laughs> or like
1: Canada or yeah. some, somewhere like Germany or France, like,
2: America's quite the wild card. Like, I could see them oh, being yeah. 60 years away from doing and I could see them doing it tomorrow just simply because uh, predicting what comes out of that jack-in-the-box is, is an absolutely <laughs> insane thing. It's an industry in itself. Oh, God. Right? Yeah. Uh, I think that you'll see uh, a pretty, like, um, polarized perspective on this so you'll I think see that kind
1: of is like the theme of the u.s in general for context <laughs> i'm from the states and i've lived there my whole life except for this past year congratulations I, yes I've, I've survived i made it i made it out um but yes like everything in the u.s is a polarized issue sorry i didn't mean to interrupt. no no you're going. good
2: you're good i mean like more so on a government by government basis you'll see yeah. some governments like totally reject it and fight it tooth and nail to the bitter end and I think that's countries like China and the United States. I think that's actually yeah. with uh, the countries that have the most to lose by having their, their currencies disrupted will fight it tooth and nail. The countries that have the most to gain, mm-hmm. so the countries where their currencies aren't really necessarily all that dominant on the world stage, it's not that much of a difference to them to start accepting Bitcoin and Ethereum as uh, as money to pay your taxes it's in. It's less
0: of a risk. It's less yeah. of a
2: risk, that's right.
0: It's about control. It is. I think. Yeah, I mean, we need to talk... I think, more in the terms of um, how are governments going to lose control over their people? And we we feel like even if we're in a democratic nation, that the government doesn't want to have control over its people, but that's incorrect. Maybe people haven't given this a thought, but this is me just thinking out loud. A currency is one way that the government can control its people, keep them together um, and We've gone through so many phases of something that was illegal before and now has become legal now. And uh, this may not necessarily, well, actually, no, this was definitely with with respect to control. I was watching a movie yesterday. It was called I Am Woman, and it talks about Helen Reddy and how she accidentally produced a song that became the anthem of the women's movement. Um, and I mean, women couldn't vote and then they could, or it was illegal for women to do a lot of things. Uh, I say a lot of things, I cannot be very specific at this very moment, but it was illegal for them to conduct some decisions on their own. And now it's not, um, cannabis was illegal in Canada for a very long time. And now it's not, um, I'm sure that speakeasies were a thing that came up, um, during periods of our past, because I think maybe getting alcohol was illegal but now it's not so um there are many aspects of things that um governments make illegal because it feels lo- because they feel like by making it illegal they will have more control over their people but time and again they've been wrong or we as a society have proved that if there's something that we want to do because we believe in it for whatever reason uh we're gonna do it anyway and then there's underground movements that are formed that then overthrow um, like a larger overseeing um, illegal barrier. And with Bitcoin, it's not really a movement born um, local to a particular government, but it's a global movement. I can send money to someone in Japan today, right now, and it might reach them in less than 10 minutes on average. Um, And that's pretty significant in this day and age. And I don't think that there is anything that governments can do to make this illegal because how are you, how are you going to get that, take that freedom away from people, take the freedom away to send money to whoever they want in, you know, from anywhere in the world to anywhere else in the world.
1: Well, it's like a failing of, of the systems that we already have in place. Like more and more people are dispersed around the world. And we had talked before, like it takes you a really long time. If you want to receive or send money to your family, like back home in India and like, even going to the US I have to go through so many like hoops and jumps to send money just to the US or like pay pay like insane fees just to just to send currency over. And so like systems like cryptocurrency are serving the needs that are not met of people.
2: That's right. That's what technology does. In general, that's what new technology does for people. It's like that thing this is a problem or a pain that people are experiencing, is there a way we can solve this? turns out, yeah, in 2020, we can solve that problem. It's cryptocurrency. And if people know about it, and and the tool is accessible enough, meaning if it's like simplified enough that the average individual can, can do it themselves without the help of others, that's, that's right for adoption right there. Yeah, right. That's all that's all the precursors that we need for this thing to explode into global adoption.
1: Well, I think there's, there's also a disconnect too, because there's the pace at which technology moves, which is rapid, blindingly like,
2: it, fast,
1: <laughs> right? It, it it changes just so much. I'm yeah. I'm thinking of like ten years ago, like the kinds of technology that was available to us, and it and it feels so slow and so limited compared right. to what we have now. So I can't imagine what we're going to have, you know, in the next ten years. And I think that we we're talking a little bit about government control and censorship, and how do you how do you accommodate? Um, such a flexible currency and I think that governments in general benefit from moving slowly like you don't want a government that is um, quick to change or quick to shift on policies because at the end of the day you don't have an if your policies are consistently changing you don't have time to see the ramifications of those policies or it can feel like you're living in a very unstable in an unstable world. So it's like the speed of technology has to come to terms with the speed of how people and larger governments work. So I think that over time governments are going to warm up to this idea because they've had enough they've had enough time to see how Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies can benefit people. But I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon.
2: I, I don't think so either. I think more so what rather than seeing them move quickly on it, uh, mm-hmm. we'd like to see them move. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so we'd love to see them get the conversation started rather than like we're still in the laughing phase. Yeah. Right. right? Uh, and I'd, I mean, I'd would rather I uh, skip the fighting phase. Right. Mm-hmm. I uh, I had this thought the other day. It was that it was that the next great war or like one of the next great fights or things that take the like conflicts that take place in the future is not over money itself, like not over who has the money, but what we decide to call the money, right? The money of the world, we currently think of value in terms of the US dollars, right? You ask anyone, what's that host worth uh, anywhere in the world? Like, yes, they'll probably say it with respect to their local currency, but they'll also be thinking like, okay, this is a $100,000 US house, right? And what we decide to call money and how we decide, how we as a people, as a global people decide to think about money and value, that's gonna be, like one of the largest mind shifts that's that's the power that these these governments are essentially fighting over like chinese uh, we had one episode is the currency wars mm-hmm. right and it was uh, the chinese one and the, the u.s dollar like the, the two large global superpowers com- uh competing for attention with respect to their monetary unit that they are producing yeah and then the wild card out there is this one that the people can voluntarily decide to adopt uh, I'm not sure how this relates to the thing that we just talked about a second ago. but
1: Well, like the speed at which like governments move slow, yeah, right. technology is moving quickly. And, you know, like, is cryptocurrency going to change so much in 10 years that it's an entirely different entity from what it
0: is today?
2: Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really hard to predict what the next 10 years is going to look like, uh,
0: I agree. Yeah. Uh, going back to the whole like governments moving slow, slow is expensive. Sorry, um, change is expensive and change is also slow. But coming back to that phrase that says too big to fail, I, I was just thinking that our governments are have too much power, that they're too big to move. And that's one of the reasons why so many of the changes that we want to um, see take place on a rapid scale are taking so long. Because the the pipelines for change are just so lengthy and there's so much of a backlog. And that's because we're so big. We're trying to do so much. And there really needs to be a dissemination of duties and powers in order to move quicker as a unit instead of moving as a whole.
2: One of the interesting things that you just said was that change is expensive. Right. And so even yeah. through regular conversation, we can't really get away from talking about value in one way, shape or form or another. Change is expensive in terms of what? Like what is expensive about it? And, and, and what is the expense? Is it in, in Canadian dollars? Is it in U.S. dollars? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, I find interesting to think about is that we've got this 1% population, right, controlling 99% of the wealth. What happens when the people decide that the thing that the people that 1% are holding is not all that valuable? Right. If all those, if the one yeah. percent is holding all their wealth in U.S. dollars or U.S. denominated things, what mm-hmm. happens when the people decide that the U.S. dollar is no longer the thing that is valuable? Yeah. Well, suddenly, you have a different one percent. Because if the people decide that Bitcoin is the most valuable thing in the world, or, or it is the money of the world, then we we totally just rip the carpet under uh, from underneath of the former one percent, and we install essentially a new one percent, which is kind of a weird concept. Just illustrating yeah. that, like change is expensive. Okay, great. And it's, it's, it's expensive only in terms of the money that we decide to spend. Right. Yep. But if we decide to call us something else, uh, like is if the Canadian dollar is not money anymore, then is it all that expensive to do the change?
1: I think change is, change is expensive also though, because the way that we, um, like you know, when you want to revamp a system, you're you're trying to plan for a system that's going to be able to stay in place for a long time, mm-hmm. whether that's like a twenty year, a fifty year, or even a hundred right. year plan. And so, like that is labor intensive True. and mentally taxing, even if nothing really is is changing. So I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure to come up with a system that's going to last. But how can you do that when your system is ever changing? Or like when you're sorry, not when your system is ever changing, but when the when the problem is evolving all the time.
2: Right. Yeah. How do how do we know that we've installed a system that is going to work for problems that we don't even know about yet?
1: Yeah. And if you're someone who's in the one percent, like you probably you probably have your money in a lot of a lot of different places. Yeah. You've probably invested in a way that, you know, you are gonna no matter how the world rules change and how the world stage changes, you will be maintaining your status.
2: That's probably true.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Once again, tinfoil hat goes on, and like the little little cynic comes out.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. No, it's it's very good points.
1: I just yeah. So.
0: Damn (laughs) (laughs) it. Is your elbow okay? Yeah, it's all good. Okay. Well, something that I'd been thinking of just while you um, were stating about um, change in government and stuff, Emily have you invested in cryptocurrency just yet i haven't invested in cryptocurrency just yet and
1: the only thing that stops me is that is the evolution of it essentially it's like we were talking a little bit about control before and i think that as an individual and as like i know i know myself and i'm and i'm somebody who does love to just like know that they know everything about something before i like Really dive in. And the only thing that stops me from investing in cryptocurrency, I mean, also, besides the funds, I'm a music teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and um, like, it just makes me wary if I don't really know where it's going, you know?
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We just talked about how, in order to safeguard ourselves from, um the change that we are yet to see going forward, it is important to diversify your assets in mm-hmm. um, various places. And um, we we often talk about investing in something, whatever you believe is an asset and to us cryptocurrency or, you know, in particular, Bitcoin is one of those assets. And um, uh, people that are listening to this, not sure how many have bought into cryptocurrency or, you know, I'm just going to keep it simple and say Bitcoin for now, yeah. How many people have bought into Bitcoin just yet, and how many people are waiting until something more tragic uh, happens or something more catastrophic happens in order to safeguard their finances in a way by investing it in an asset of some sort, any sort, maybe cryptocurrency, because this is a crypto podcast. Yeah, and um, that's what like that's what leads me to the question of okay, so you don't know enough. I'll say right now that I call myself a cryptocurrency knowledge expert, but (laughs) I don't know enough. There is so much to know. There is something with knowledge uh, is that it's, you know, there's so many perspectives from so many different people. I can know my way through and through with respect to the Bitcoin protocol, but perspectives and philosophy surrounding it and uh, why some aspects of it work and how some other geniuses are very intelligent people out there say that um, something will work a certain way. I don't have the time to keep up with everybody's opinions on why it will work. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm still learning <laughs> and I'm going to continue learning. I would be a fool to admit that I know everything uh, and I never will. And that's just the way that knowledge works. Um, yeah. So with respect to uh, you and you having the need to know enough, how much is enough or how much is sufficient
1: I think that I know that I know enough to like really start to dip my toes into it and to like seriously consider doing some investing the knowing that it's, there's so much that's transparent. There's so much that you can, there's so many aspects of Bitcoin that you can trace, like how much of it is accessible to the rest of the global community and how people are spending it and using it. And, you know, more people are, are using it. Like the other day, um, the other day you, you paid Jordan in Bitcoin and like, that was cool. That for was a haircut. Yeah, that was, that was really nice. And I was like, oh, okay. Like I have a picture of how this can work. I think that's the part that was sort of missing in my brain for a bit. It just felt, Bitcoin felt like it was very abstract for a long time. Right. But having like real life examples and situations of like, you know, here's a, here's a sliver of, of Bitcoin. Like, thank you. Thank you for your time. Um, And that makes it feel like a less of an abstract concept to me. When you were first starting out and investing in Bitcoin, or like when you were uh, starting to put money into it, what would you say is like today a good amount of like your own like Canadian dollars to put into a Bitcoin wallet to start out?
2: $10, $25, $50, $100, really whatever amount (laughs) that works for you. It's actually more important that you get off zero than Mm -hmm. you... Uh, like rather than pick a particular amount that makes sense like and ask us what what amount matters it it matters that you like you said experience the process of obtaining it because usually it's not the amount that's the barrier it's the uh, it's the process right you're like oh I okay I see how this is now in my wallet and it's my own now I see how Jordan performed the service of doing a haircut and then he got compensated with it in Bitcoin right yeah it could be a $10 haircut it'd be a $60 haircut and the process of obtaining it is the same. once you're off zero, once you have more than zero Bitcoin, you're like, okay, I, I can think about this in a completely different way now because I have experienced the process of, of obtaining it. And then you can we can talk about numbers after that.
0: Uh, the, did you have some I yeah, I did. Um so the first time that I bought Bitcoin, I bought it bought it out of FOMO, which is zero missing out. And this was in 2018. <laughs> no, first first like and I experienced FOMO from time to time. All Today. the time, yeah, same, yeah, <laughs> all the time. Every time the the price of Bitcoin changes or the value of Bitcoin changes, um, I have to remind myself why I'm in the game in the first place, which is for the philosophy for a a better future that is going to take place in the next five or ten years, and that I like I I don't need to panic because the the price has moved a little bit right now, and I I don't need to panic buy or make some. Irrational decisions that uh, are going to make me regret my decisions later. Yeah. And that's experiencing FOMO. So I think that people experience FOMO whether they know it or not. And in order to determine um, if you want to give in or not, you have to make that mistake at least once, hopefully mm. with a smaller amount, and then yeah. really analyze why you made that purchase in the first place. So when mm. I first bought my first little bit of bitcoin i I remember i wanted it real quick because i wanted it before (laughs) the price shot up and i bought it off of keegan actually um and you know we made some sort of transaction and then i was like and then i had it and after i had it i was obsessed to i was obsessed by watching it i would open my wallet up every day i would open these other cryptocurrency apps that showed me the price and it was just like oh cool like what's happening um and I, like throughout the, the weeks that followed my first Bitcoin purchase, I, I started thinking, what am I doing? What is all of this for? Um, why am I so invested in, in watching the price go up or down? And why am I thinking about it all the time? And that's when I really started analyzing that I actually bought it out of the fear of missing out on, on just getting some Bitcoin, any amount. And that's when I came to uh, or went down this path of realizing the reasons or really trying to arrive at the reasons of why I made an investment in the first place. So going back to something that we were talking about earlier um, is, why haven't you um, allocated some of your investments in in Bitcoin? It might be because you just don't think uh, that that's, you know, something that you want to invest your time and energy and mind space in, into acquiring Uh, right now and you have friends like us who are gonna say (laughs) well do it now and then worry about it later yeah because what we believe in we believe in because we've uh, we have our strong belief in because we have a lot of evidence of knowledge and um research from other areas um of cryptocurrency and you know finances and economics and whatever so we cannot predict the future, but we do believe in a future where it will be important for you to have a little bit of Bitcoin. Yeah. and we're, you know we're not going to say buy a thousand dollars of <laughs> worth of it today, but yeah, that's not the yeah. number. <laughs> you you start with a little bit and yeah. you see the value. you have to come to your own reasons as to why you want to invest because if there, there's no reason, then you're just going to uh, be confused as to why you've spent any amount of money yeah. on something. I was thinking
1: of using it um, for my taxes. So, you know, like where you're, I'm trying to build up my credit score and I'm using that with with the bank and everything. And so I was um, considering investing in Bitcoin and starting a wallet so that way I can just use it to pay off taxes. And so like as the value of Bitcoin goes, goes up or as the investment grows, it would be like the same as, as having a savings account. But the difference is that like there's a higher chance that you'd get more. Uh, of a return on on the bitcoin account
2: that's really interesting so our friend ali himam uh from tahini's restaurant episode 10 of our podcast he he calls bitcoin a free savings account nice because it uh anyone can get a wallet anyone can can obtain bitcoin uh like relatively barrier free i'm like i'm liking that you just use the word savings account and i'm a little bit hung up on like you using it to to pay your taxes uh Cause like, that's, that's like really quite the interesting phenomenon, uh, or like, I've never quite heard it like, yeah, I want to use it for this. It's like, cool. That sounds really weird. And if you want to use it for that power too, (laughs) it's your money. Uh, I've just never heard it quite, quite described like that. Well, like,
1: okay. So I'm a, I'm a subcontracted teacher. So my taxes don't get taken out of my paycheck. So because my taxes don't get taken out of my paycheck, I have to make sure that every month I'm putting away just like, you know, 30% of my paycheck. Right. Or like, you know, as much as I can just to make sure that, you know, I'm I'm safe and I'm good to go. And rather than putting it in a checking account where, you know, like I see this big number all the time. I'm like, yeah, my finances are great. I'm in awesome shape. Like, look at how much look at how much I have saved up. It really it means that like I have to do a lot more mental math of like, wait, no, 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 no. Take out six months worth of taxes and then like, you know, carry over the two and okay, oh shit, I actually have, <laughs> you know, like not as much. But if I have it in my savings account, then it's separate from, you know, my actual spending money.
2: This is definitely not financial advice, but <laughs> I'm going to tell you why that might not be a great way to do things.
1: Uh, Keegan, enlighten me Yeah, I have yet to figure this out. It's just so different up here.
2: So you're totally right. You, you, um, since you, your employer doesn't take your taxes off and give it right to the government. That's mm-hmm. usually like if you're employed... That's how it works. But you have to essentially take that money and carve off a piece and yeah. save it for later, save it for tax season. Yeah. And uh, the amount that you owe the Canadian government is in Canadian dollars. Mm-hmm. And let's just say that you buy Bitcoin thinking, okay, cool, I'm going to earn a little bit extra on this money that I owe the Canadian government. Mm-hmm. Uh, Like that money that you carve off and put aside in a separate account essentially belongs to the Canadian government. You're just uh, like... Yeah, you're just you're just kind of like <laughs> holding it for them temporarily, <laughs> and so the fact that you would go and buy Bitcoin, you what you risk is Bitcoin falling instead of rising, and then what you could end up in a situation uh, where Bitcoin has fallen um, below the purchase price, your purchase price. Mm-hmm. So let's just say you bought Bitcoin at fifteen thousand dollars, and now Bitcoin is ten thousand dollars, and so you lost a third of the value, and, and you, you still, still owe pay. that money. Yeah. Yeah. So. While it's not a great way to uh, <laughs> figure out your taxes, I think there's there's other more constructive ways to uh, to get into Bitcoin, not using government money. Cool. Yeah. Not, not financial advice.
1: <laughs> Keegan, I will take that. Not financial advice. Oh, thank and- you. <laughs> okay, so like small little steps. Start out just somewhere.
2: First, first piece of advice: get off zero. Cool. Experience what it's like. Not um,
0: financial advice. That's just, not financial just, advice either. Just <laughs> advice.
2: For reference, the the first time I bought Bitcoin, I bought five hundred dollars worth, and the reason why I did that was uh, because I wanted it to be an amount that was significant enough for me to see, uh, like to be ten, committed. To be committed. Sure, absolutely. That's a really good way of putting it. Actually, yeah. it's like I don't want to do this half-assed. Like a better way to put it. Um, I I actually want to see where this goes, and if I put ten dollars in. That's just simply not enough to see it like, like meaningful. It's like two return. coffees.
1: Like you're gonna see like point zero 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 a change on it.
2: Yeah. So that's that's a, in a nutshell.
0: However, last year we did a couple of workshops uh, and one in particular, we we used to give a ten dollars worth of ten Canadian dollars worth of Bitcoin to everyone who attended a workshop, um, because we thought the best way of learning about it is really just getting into it. Yeah. And I was speaking to someone the other day and and I asked them, oh, "So, how much is your $10 worth of investment from a year ago worth?" And he's like, "Oh, it's $19 now." <laughs> hey, yeah. that's a that's like that's, a that's great. almost double, yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, like conversely, if you had $500 and you doubled it, that's 1000. But $10 doubled is only $20, right? Yeah. You've only made $10. You still doubled your money. Yeah. But I want to see like a meaningful return on uh on my investment. That's why I put 500 in.
1: Well, and we were also, you know, before this podcast, we were just, you were just chatting and uh, you mentioned that you were getting some notifications for like, Hey, my, uh, my deposits are, are coming in. I'm getting a deposit to my account. Yeah. You know, like every day, can
0: you like walk me through how you, how you set that up?
2: Sure. So that's part of a broader ecosystem called decentralized finance.
0: Okay, those are some pretty big words. I don't. Should we really be getting into DeFi? Right I'm
2: gonna now? break it down. It's okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So can I
0: can I say something really simply though? Probably. Okay. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you talked about um, how you were well versed what happens with the banking system currently, right? Mm. And if we were to um, go one step further in that, and it was fractional reserve banking, where essentially the money that you're storing with your bank, why, why your bank? kind of acts like a company in a sense where they take your money and then invest it in other things. Or they Um, loan
2: it to other people. Or
0: loan it to other people so that they can also make money because they just have a bunch of capital sitting in the bank. You know, why wouldn't they take advantage of that? Might as well do something with it. Yeah. So with respect to the apps that Keegan will break down in just (laughs) a couple of minutes, you have control over whether or not you want your money to be lent to somebody else. And that's what the, like, it's called an earn account on um, an app that we use. And in that, you know, you have, you can see a cryptocurrency wallet and you can see, okay, you have this much Bitcoin, you have this much of whatever other assets. And to keep it simple, let's say that you have X amount of Bitcoin. And if you say that, yeah. oh, I'm actually not going to need to use this Bitcoin for the next five months or a year or I want mm-hmm. to hold on for dear life or HODL uh, for a long time. I just don't want to see it. Long-term investment. You can, you can choose to put that X amount of Bitcoin into an earn account or, you know, depending on the app that you're on, mm-hmm. it'll be called something else. But that's where you lend your Bitcoin willingly to the application that your Bitcoin is on and they they lend it out to other people and you get a return on your investment. And nice. that it can be a flexible term if you, you know, don't want to get yourself locked up for um
2: meaning um, you can like withdraw it at any time
0: yeah or you can yeah. there's different terms there's one month three months six months based on what service you use and yeah. you get a return um paid out every week for lending choosing to lend your money to the application nice and that's that's what it is about so you, earlier you were talking about it being a savings account um, yes you can wait until the investment uh, grows in value or you can mm-hmm. also, if while you're just waiting, why not lend it if you're not going to have use for it and lend it to other people who um, that the platform does on its own, and then you can get paid for lending money to somebody else.
2: And just to compare rates, uh, if you lend your money to a bank, uh, chances are you're you're getting a, a really, uh, quite frankly, bad interest rate. Uh,
1: like, what makes you say that, Keegan? Because <laughs> <I> they <just> have <laughs> my best interest in heart.
2: Yeah, they sure know? do. <laughs> So you're probably getting somewhere between a 0.05 and 0.5 if you're extremely lucky yeah. interest rate, uh, which means if you get 100 bucks, you leave it sit for a year, they'll give you 50 cents. They'll give you as little as 5 cents. They'll give you as much as 50 cents. Yeah. Right. So the interest rates that we can see on uh, on this app, it's called crypto.com, uh, we get 6.5% on our Bitcoin investment. Nice. And it's paid out in Bitcoin. And I get that. I see that every week. Uh, every week they, they pay out 6.5% divided by 52. Um, uh, yeah, that's that's right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever that equals out to be. Yeah. Uh, and I am lending my money to someone else who can make use of it right now. Willingly. Willingly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, so on the other side, they need to provide collateral uh and which means that they need, they need to prove that they can cover the money that they lend in the event that they don't pay it back okay right so in the event that they don't pay their money back what happens to my bitcoin if i've just lent it to them right mm-hmm. well they have to make sure that they've secured or locked up some amount of other asset uh that they can reimburse me for because they don't want to like be in the middle and like not have the money to give to the lenders Right. Yeah. so they make sure that all all of our bases are covered
0: nice it's very similar to what happens when you want to get a loan from the bank, but you know you have to um make sure that your house is a collateral or mm-hmm. your car is collateral if you want whatever yeah. amount of loan. It's it's the same system for the for the um, uh loaner on the particular application. Okay,
1: and then how did you, you know, like once you feel like step one is yeah. getting off zero, so sure. you're you're investing just like a little bit more. Between the time that you went from, you know, just doing these, these like this $500 investment to loaning your Bitcoin out to other people, like Murgakshi, do you do that too? And like, how much time did it take for you to sort of transition to that phase of investment?
0: Oh, oh gosh. Well. (laughs) So
2: from the first time that I heard about cryptocurrency Mm -hmm. until the time I actually bought was about two years. Mm -hmm. And that number differs for everyone. And it's, it's, kind of fun to take your time with that, right? It's a rigidly new concept to most people. And so yeah. take your time with understanding it until you're comfortable getting a hold of it. Uh, I would,
0: that's a great answer. Like I've held Bitcoin for two and a half years now, but I did this, um, two months ago or um, one month ago, I don't remember, but it like, it was there and I saw it and I played around with it because I have to write about it and whatever, but I was, I'll admit I was scared. It was new. And um, I like I didn't want to take the risk with my money, experimental money, sure, whatever. But it just, uh, it was a commitment. And for any sizable return on investment, you have to actually go and take that commitment. A risk. Um, sorry, you have to take that risk and you have to commit. And I did that after... Year, after months of reading about it, playing around with it, um, looking at it, I've actually the number of times I have gone through the whole process of putting you know some amount of my Bitcoin investment into this account and backed out when it says, like, <laughs> I had to sure? agree. Yeah, I had to agree to yeah. it and then tap on the button that I don't remember what it says, but like a uh, submit for three months. I, I thought to myself, well, uh, what if I want to liquidate my investment or, you know, I I just got scared yeah. and I backed out. but. I pulled the plug a couple couple weeks month month ago. Congratulations! Thank you.
1: How do you feel a month later?
0: I uh, I want to enable those notifications <laughs> so, so I can see my return on investment when you get paid out. Yeah. yeah, that's what Keegan. Yeah, Keegan was talking about how he's
2: yeah I set it up in such a way that I, I get paid out every day of the week. So I started like an earned term on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, etc. And so every they pay out on a seven day cycle. And every single day of the week I get a notification that says, hey, you earned $2 this time or like you earned $12 that time. And it's like, hey, cool. I, I nice. kind of did nothing except like provide money. That's one of the ways that the rich get richer is they are allowed to or they have the ability to take their excess capital and lock it into these uh, these earned terms, loan it to banks, loan it to whoever. Mm-hmm. They use the capital that you get a return on your investment. That's a way that one of the ways that the wealthier get wealthier. Uh, yeah,
0: just making your money work for you. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, Essentially,
0: and there are some um related
1: I swear there are some yep. programs like Kiva where you can send a loan to um you can send or like the Gramian bank where you can like send out loans like specifically to people and with your earn account, are you like specifically lending it to like somebody and you've like decided who you're gonna send your money to, or does the app do that for you?
2: The app does that for you, okay, yeah. And I I did did want to just like go back and take a step back and just, I said the word decentralized finance. And And then
0: I cut you, I'm sorry. Yeah,
2: no, no, it's okay. Like the the thing I want to talk about with respect to that is, uh, and you also had another question, like how how long did it take you before you were comfortable doing something like that? Uh, That this sort of thing was not available. It wasn't possible to do because the infrastructure wasn't there. People had to build these apps to allow me to lend my money out to another person anonymously before I even had the opportunity to do so. Yeah. And so those are like relatively new. I'd say they're about three, maybe four years old at the most. And so even from the first time I learned about them till the time that I actually decided to pull the trigger was about a year and a half, two years ago, right? And so what decentralized finance is, in a nutshell, is uh, financial services built around decentralized money. Decentralized money would be Bitcoin, Ethereum, cryptocurrency in general. Mm -hmm. And financial services, we like to divide into four categories. that's sending and receiving, storage, lending, and borrowing, and exchanging or trading. And those are financial services. That's like, if you go to a bank, the bank's offering you one of those four things. Yeah. Uh, And decentralized finance is those services offered in a decentralized kind of way. Was that sufficiently confusing? Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So what, what would that look like then?
2: Well, you've got this app, and this app is basically a crypto bank,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and you interact with the app just like you would interact with any other app on your phone or mobile device. Mm-hmm. Uh, they give you a deposit address, you send your Bitcoin to this deposit address, and then you're able using the app to uh, take that Bitcoin and do any number of things with it, such as trade for Ethereum, or trade for the US dollar, or oh. lend it to someone else and earn a return on investment. Or just store it on the app for safekeeping for a, a rainy day, like down the road.
0: I have a good example or analogy for this. So, you know, decentralized finance is something that people haven't heard. But uh, if we were to compare it against centralized finance, which traditionally we just know as finance, and mm-hmm. um, there's usually a centralized institution or authority that you go to in order for the things that Keegan mentioned to have happened. Yeah. So a um, centralized authority in this case would be a bank. You go to a bank, you open a, a savings account or a checkings account. There's also investment accounts um, through which you can either do your own investments or you can get a financial advisor. But it's still all centralized. You still don't have complete control over where your money is, how much yeah. of it is being allocated where. Um, and, you know, a lot of the, the things that uh, you get control over and access to in decentralized finance because they're the the central the only aspect of the central authority is that you have this one application but within this one application you have a plethora of choices um with what you want to do with your money that you don't get in a centralized setting okay that makes that makes more sense yeah that's really exciting congratulations (laughs) you guys oh thanks (laughs) So yeah. we've had a really fantastic conversation, um, and we've we've actually touched on so many different topics. Because we started with transparency on the blockchain and transparency and privacy yeah. uh, with respect to certain cryptocurrencies, and then we went into talking about how governments um, play play into all of this and how regulations are uh, catching up or. You know, what will they ever catch up? Will <laughs> they catch up? What what yeah. morals they they would use to uh, draw a fine line between privacy and control? Um, and then we entered the uh, the conversation of investments. And for one, what would trigger you, Emily, to Pull the plug and say, "Okay, I want to." Pull,
2: pull the trigger. Pull the plug is when you
0: <laughs> oh. dr- when you're
2: draining something.
0: <laughs> is, isn't it a thing? Have used it so many times in this conversation. I know. We just didn't plug? catch it. Yeah. yeah oh, what? You weren't listening. No, we uh, were
2: listening. Just, you were used, on a roll. I didn't want to stop you. I've
0: used pull the plug so many times.
2: <laughs> I know, and it's. But
0: just, we knew what you meant, and I think. Wait, it's <laughs> not. A,
1: it's not a phrase. It's a combination of two.
2: Uh, like if you pull the plug on something you're like stopping it but like really yeah pulling the trigger is starting it and that's the context which we're like <laughs> talking if you pull the plug on your investment you're like liquidating it or you're like really? stopping it yeah that's absolutely.
0: not what i meant i meant pull the trigger but in terms of pulling the plug because you're actually doing it you're actually pulling the- okay. yes but if you're but pulling thanks, the plug guys. on an electrical
2: device like you're, you're stopping the power to go to the electrical device. but you're
0: still pulling the plug out <laughs>
2: yeah well
0: okay anyway <laughs> <laughs> I like the thing. Honestly, like talking,
1: talking with you, and you know, seeing people like use real life applications of Bitcoin—that's what makes me more confident in using it. So, like, seeing more of that makes me feel more comfortable. And I was, I was chatting the other day um, with my husband about it, and like, I would love to put away like even a hundred or two hundred dollars just to like, just to start out and sort of see what happens to it. Because similar to how you were feeling before, Keegan about needing a number that was like big enough that you were gonna really see a difference. I do wanna put in enough where I feel like I get that same feeling too, but it's it's like a medium, a medium investment. So right. Not too much, not too little, something right in between, but that's something cool. that you still see move. So I do wanna do it. And I'm like,
0: ready, I will hit you guys up to talk about wallets. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic, yeah. that's awesome. This is great. Thanks Emily, thanks for saying that on air. <laughs> <laughs> for pulling the trigger <laughs> um, thank you That's for having fun. me thank you Absolutely. for talking with me and helping me learn more
1: about cryptocurrency this is yeah. awesome
0: Yes, yeah, fantastic so if people want to reach out to you and um you know bring out some points to discuss with you and what your situation has been living or get in America. some violin lessons oh yeah <laughs> or get violin lessons because she is a fantastic teacher oh my goodness just being around you i want to learn Um, the violin from you too. And I have observed some realists, such a fantastic soul and violin teacher and just, you know, a presence and energy to be around. So where can people find you? (laughs) You
1: can find me at my email address. Um, I'm a little bit of a dinosaur. I don't really use facebook or instagram no oh, that's right. not a dinosaur you're progressive yes um yeah i've sort of like unplugged a little bit but i still am
2: you pulled the plug <laughs> on facebook and instagram
1: <laughs> you know, come on did. now come I on did. guys but you know i still i still am in love with with gmail uh so my email address is emily e-m-i-l-i-e benigno b as in boy e-n-i-g-n-o emilybenino at gmail.com so feel free to reach out with
0: any questions i'd love to talk with you and if you're in Halifax and want to take some violin lessons from emily that you need to go to the scotia suzuki school of music
2: remote lessons are also. Rem- or you. remote
0: lessons yeah, yeah. actually
2: because we live in a totally virtual world and then emily a will decentralized
0: accept- education <laughs> that's <Yes>. right <laughs>
2: well, we'll help emily accept bitcoin as well and if you uh
0: this is true <laughs> yeah, yeah. Take my word for it, she's a fantastic teacher. So, if you're in Australia and you want to learn violin, Emily is your go to person. You have her email address now you know how to contact her. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> yeah, of course. Thank you for coming on this show with us and for everybody watching and listening. Don't forget to hit that like, subscribe, and share this particular episode and so many others with your friends and colleagues so they get to hear such fantastic conversations as well. And Bitcoin's not scary, cryptocurrency's not scary. You just have to talk about it more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And with that, thank you for listening and stay tuned.